Good morning and welcome to Parashat Vayera. I'd like to dedicate our learning today to the Rifua Shelema of Yafa Esther Batrachel, of Tamar Batchuta, of anybody who's in need of healing emotionally or physically. And of course, let's hope that our learning will serve as a merit for those who um, have not yet returned to their families and for those who have left their families to lead the effort for peace and safety, security and justice. I'm gonna just begin if it's okay with you with a short prayer, two of them. The first one is for the Chayale Sahal Vekochot Habitachon, Mishe Berach Avoteno Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov, Hu Yevarechet Chayale, Tseva Hahaganali Israel, Veanshe Kochot Habitachon, Haomdim, Al Mishmar Arsenu, Veare Elohenu, Migvul Halevanon, Veadmidbar Mitzrayim, Min Hayam, Hagadol Adlevo Harava, Bayabasha, Baviru Bayam, Iten Adonai et Oivenu. Hakamim Alenu, Nigifim Lifnehem, Hakadosh Paruchu, Yishmor, Vyatsil et Chayalenu, Mikol Saravetukal, Mikol Nega Umachala, Vishlach Beracha, Vehatzlacha, Behoma Seyedehem, Yad Bar Sonenu Tachtehem, Vatherem Beketer Yeshua, Ubeateret Nitzhon, Bekum Bahem Hakatuv, Kiadonai. Elohem, Haholech, Imachem, Lihilachem, Lachem, Im Oivechem, Leoshiatchem, Venomar, Amen. Also, for those hostages who we are praying for their speedy and safe return intact, Misha Berach, Avoteno, Abraham Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yosef, Moshe, Vaharon, David, Shlomo, Huyevarech, Vishmod, Vinsor, Et Nadaret, Seva, Ganal, Israel, Veshivio. ואת כל אחינו הנתונים בצרה ושוויה עבור שהקהל מלמד בעבורם, הקדוש ברוך הוא ימלא רחמים עליהם ויוציא מחושך וצלמוות ומוסרותיהם, ינתק וממצוקותיהם יושיעם וישיבם מהרה לחוק משפחותיהם. יודו לאדוני חסתו ונפלאותיו לבני אדם וקוים בהם מקרא שכתוב ובדויי אדוני ישובון ובאו ציון ברינה ובשמחת עולם על ראשם ששון ושמחה ישיגו ונשאו יגון והנחה ונאמר אמן אחינו כל בית ישראל הנתונים בצרה ובשביה העומדים בין בים ובין ביבשה המקום ירחם עליהם ויוציאם מצרה לרוכבה, מאפלה לאורה, משיבוט לגאולה, השתה בעגלה בזמן קריב ונאמר אמן. So let's hope and pray that we continue to hear good news and that we are able to make beautiful advancements. Our Torah is going to already unfold for us, God willing, the Yeshua that is imminent. We are gonna start in Parashat Vayera, but just so we all have a broader sense of what's taking place, I'm gonna give you a quick, quick overview because we're not gonna be able to get to all of the different vignettes and all the different stories that take place in this action-packed Parasha Vayera. The word Vayera means that Hashem appears to Abraham. In this appearance, Saraz promised the child. Abraham is notified of the impending destruction in Sedom. Abraham then negotiates with God and angels ascend to Sedom. Sedom is destroyed. Lot is saved. And we have the story of his wife being petrified into a pillar of salt and his daughters end up appropriating the nations of Ammon and Moab. From there, Aharon goes down to Gerar. He meets up with Avimelech, who's the king who takes Sarah. Shortly after she is released, she conceives, she has a child, um, she weans him, makes a party, and that is where Yishmael is identified as being um, 
a, a problem by Sarah, so she's expelled. After that, Avimelech comes back and asks Abraham to make an alliance with him. They make that alliance with the seven cows, the seven wells, Be'er Sheva in that area. And we end with the Akedah, and it's followed immediately by the birth of Rivka being announced. So I know it's a mouthful, but I wanted to just give you a sense of what is taking place in this parasha. The ending-ish where God asks Abraham to take his only child and bring him up as an offering and bring him up the mountain, that is framed and flanked with the words lech lecha. So I just wanted to have, if we wanted to really make a bigger bracket, last week's lech lecha, what starts with Abraham making his journey is going to sort of, and many of the rabbis say that that Akedah was actually the 10th test of Abraham, the first one being the Lech Lecha Me'artzecha, last week's leaving from your family and going to the place that I will show you. Those, that might possibly comprise Abraham's tests, or they might call them Nisyonot. Um, I'd like to now maybe take a closer look at the text because it's imperative that we live Torah. And I don't know that we always understand what it means to live Torah more than in our times today. Every pasut that we're going to read is going to resonate with where we are, with what's going on, and is filled with tremendous promise and hope for a fulfillment of all of these berachot that we're going to encounter. So let's start with this. Let's start with this idea that our perasha is going to start out. I'll read for you the verse, Vayera elav Hashem be'elonem amre, and Hashem appears to him in elonem amre, and he is sitting, petach ha'ohel, he is sitting at the opening of the tent, kechom hayom, like the heat of the day, and he lifts his eyes, and again he sees, and there are these three men. They are nitzavim alav. They are standing, of course we're going to use better words in a minute, above him. And he looks again, and he runs to greet them from the opening of the tent, and he bows towards them. And he tells them, just one more verse, Please, if I have found favor in your eyes, don't leave me. Don't pass me over. And we've spoken about these verses in the past, how there's the triumvirate of the word Vayera, this idea of seeing or appearing. We've spoken about the fact that Abraham's name isn't even mentioned in here. Vayera Elav, Vehu Yoshev. It doesn't tell us that it's Abraham till way into the story. There's a lot here that's beckoning and begging us to literally jump into this story and understand what the Torah is telling us and inviting us to do. This idea that Hashem appears to him, of course, means that every one of us has this potential. Once we are included in the covenant, once we are part of Am Yisrael, once Abraham has his Brit Milah, for instance, once we call our names and call ourselves and consider ourselves part of the Kahal HaKadosh, part of this holy um, congregation that's called Yisrael, then all of us have this ability of Hashem, Vayera Elav Hashem, of Hashem coming to us. But it also says, where he's sitting is of import to us because the ohel might be considered the enclosed space, the space where there is uh, uh, um, privacy. And then the outside of the ohel might be a public space. And in order for us to have this uh, um, divine showering of Shekhinah within us and appearing to us and escorting us, as we're going to see soon with these men, we have to literally be sitting at the petach of the ohel. Our, every person has a proverbial ohel, we will say, 
The physical one means you can't just enclose yourself in your house. You do need to be aware of what's beyond your door, beyond your threshold, but at the same time, be able to straddle both places at one time, the external and the internal. You can't only be out there, it might be too dangerous, but you also can't only be inside your tent. You need to be in the petach of the ohel. I love the interpretation of kechom hayom, meaning it wasn't just in the daytime when it was hot at the heat of the day, but kechom hayom, he was like the sun. Remember I told you the first three pesukim of the Torah, the third one, Vayomir Hashem Yehi Od is referencing Abraham. He is the Od, he is the Chom Hayom, he is the luminary, he is the one that is radiating. And maybe all of these um, descriptions are here to give us a how-to if we too want to access God being with us and angels accompany us then maybe we need to take a page out of Abraham in how we position ourselves. And he lifts his eyes and he sees these three men. And the three men have been depicted. You can see all the Renaissance paintings, very beautiful. Very often they'll have the three men hovering over his head, Nitzavim Alav, above him. Most of the commentary will, commentaries will say that the Anashim were actually Malachim, they were actually angels. Malachim also could be, we sent like Shelichim, you sent an, a messenger. I wanna talk about the three messengers, why we needed three of them in a minute, but first I wanna say that they were Nitzavim Alav. The word Nitziv is like a commander, a Nitziv in the army, or Mutzav or a Matseva, might be a tall monument. So these men who came to see him were, I'm going to use the word established, they were fortified, they give a sense of strength, a sense of permanence, a sense of confidence. And he sees these men and vayad, he sees them, we keep using this word, vayadot likratam mipetach ha'ohel. And he goes from the opening of the tent he runs to greet them. Now, it could mean that he physically went, left his post at the threshold of the opening of the tent and ran to greet them. But it could also mean that the entire exercise was that he never left the petach ha'ohel. But in running to greet them, what he was actually doing was he was seeing, I'd love to go with the idea that they were angels. And I'd love to go with the idea that he accepted their existence and he didn't blink his eyes and say, I must be seeing things, but rather than this running to see them could have been an entire mental exercise where he opens his mind and is willing to accept that something otherworldly, and I take the license to say otherworldly because they are standing above him as is depicted, if they were literally floating and hovering above him, the old Abraham, the one who was stuck in his mind and in his intellect would have said, I ate too many, uh, you know, blueberries and, I, and I'm seeing something strange. This, this can't be. But here in Parashat Vayera, Abraham is open to the reality of their existence. I say it that way because every one of us is gonna have a choice. Do we want to accept that in this physical world there is more than the eye could see? It keeps saying vayad, he's seeing and he's seeing, but the things that are being shown to him are things that you really can't see so easily. And I'd like to suggest that this week the Torah is beckoning us and showing us and inviting us to see that there are angels amongst us. This world does have physical human breathing angels, and it also has angels that we may not be able to see. And in order for us to access them, in order for us to be able to appreciate them, the Torah is going to tell us very, very 
carefully and clearly what we need to do on our part. And the first thing that he does when he runs to greet them is he says, what? Please don't pass me by. That means I want to warrant and I want to be worthy to have this escorting system, this angel escort agency following me everywhere I go. Now, this is something that, yes, it's written here in chapter 18 about Abraham, but it's telling every one of us, open your eyes and recognize that if you stand, petach, your own ohel, if you just get out of your rational intellectual mind and you stand between the threshold of the rational and the faith or the emotional or the belief in the beyond, then you too will able to recognize and benefit from these angels that exist in our world. And it's so interesting that these three angels represent three kinds of things. And I'll explain it as a famous Rashi that says why he said three. And then he answers his own question and he says, Oh, one angel can't do three separate things. They can't multitask, for instance, is what Rashi's answer is. But I, I don't want to say that the angels have a low attention span and they can't do two things at once. I don't think that's what Rashi was trying to tell us. I think he was trying to tell us that the three missions that the angels were on were in complete conflict with each other. So the angel who's coming to, let's say, heal Avraham can't possibly be the same angel that's going to destroy Sedom because one is going to come into the world to make sure that the course of nature continues in its path. Healing is a natural occurrence and Abraham should be healed. It's coming, he's coming to visit him. He's coming to make sure that he gets healed. So an angel who's coming to keep the balance of the natural world and make sure that things follow their order can't possibly be the same angel that is going to come and tell Sarah that she's having a child. Because telling Sarah that she's having a child is saying, I am completely going to suspend the natural order. So the angel who's coming to say, I'm making sure that things go according to plan as they should in the natural world, can speak from the other side of his mouth and say, I am here to make sure that the natural world doesn't follow its Path. I'm here to make sure that the wombless Akara, who's 90 years old, I want to make sure that she doesn't follow the natural course, and I want to make sure to tell you that she's going to go and have a child. I see my friend Shani here, so I'll shout out to you. This angel is going to say, I am going to render the impossible possible. So here we have one angel that wants to make sure the world goes according to its normal track. Another angel to say, we don't want normal track. We want to create a biryachadasha. We want to create something new that never was. We want to completely upset the natural order of the world for birth. And then the third angel who's going to go and destroy Sedom can't possibly be on the same mission as either of those two because his job is going to be to do what? To take life away and to undo the natural course and to bring destruction. So one's going to bring life, one's going to bring destruction, and the equalizer is the one that's going to make sure that the world goes on its own course. None of those three avenues, you can't travel together. <laughs> Those are three totally different highways. And so therefore, when Rashi comes and says, Ein malach echad, he's talking about these three angels can't do two different things. They stand for completely different ideas. 
And for us, we should realize that yes, we do have angels in this world and some are there to protect and make sure that the world goes in the order it was created. And some are there to destroy and some angels are here in our world, in our midst right now to make sure that we are not limited. We are not held back or restricted by the laws that govern the natural world. That those laws that God put in place, we have the ability to supersede and break through and move beyond them. And for that, I love reading Parashat Vayera because it's telling us, that, open your eyes. There is so much more. This Vayera to see or to be enlightened, and people like to say it has the word or in there, the Aleph and the Resh, there's a lot of stuff going on with this word. It speaks to intellect of a person. Make sure when you're doing your math and you're doing the intellect, make sure you're factoring in these stories and you're factoring the fact that God is coming to Abraham and saying, if you're gonna stand and you're going to be a human being that's balancing yourself between your inner self, your outer self, between the thresholds, I am sending back up for you. You're not alone. I am going to make sure. And we see angels holding the hands of Lot and his family. This is not, you can't make this stuff up. This is the stuff, that's why I love for you to have a homash in front of you so you can see how human an angel could be. And I believe that God makes the angels human because he wants to tell the humans that you too can be like angels. You too can be Nitzavim. You too can hover above the mundane. You too don't have to be uh, a bound. You can defy gravity. You really can soar. We really can. And we're going to see this. I, I really believe it with every ounce of my being. This week, I'll just say this out of turn and out of context, but Abraham is going to go to Gerar after the, the destruction. You know where Gerar is on the map? And of course, there's a million maps if you Google them. It's the southernmost tip of Israel. It might be even a little further south than Gaza or the southernmost part of Gaza because after Gerar is Egypt. And he's going to go there. And his wife's going to be taken captive. But I just have to say that in this week's story, and I believe it's because she had angels accompanying her. When I say angels accompanying her, I mean messengers from God. I mean she was escorted, as was Abraham. Because what happens to her in that palace, you can't even write the script for this. Avimelech should have a dream in the middle of the night where God comes to him and say, hey, that woman that you took is a married woman. And what Avimelech does, we're going to see because it's taking place and this is a living, breathing Torah. So we're going to see that our women that were taken in this south part of Israel, in this Gaza region, literally in Gerar, not only are they returned, not only is she returned intact to Abraham, but she's returned with reparations. He sends her with gifts. He says, let this be a kisut enayim. Because I behaved so inappropriately, not only am I returning your hostage to you, Abraham, but please take this money and take these gifts because I recognize that what I did was so improper, I wanna make sure you don't hold it against me. So reading this story and seeing what we're living today, we might wanna say, you're really writing a total fiction of all fictions. And I wanna say no, the Torah is non-fiction. The Torah is telling us, yeah, where you're standing and where, where, you're, where you don't have the openings 
If you're not going to open your own heart, your own things that, that encumber you, yeah, then it's a crazy, ridiculous pie-in-the-sky story. But let me ask you a question. Why not? Why can't we believe this? It's here. It's happened. It's been written. And I'll tell you something else. After that whole story, we come to this treaty that Abraham makes with Avimelech, with the seven cows, and maybe I should take a minute. This wasn't the, where I was going today, but I should take a minute because I think it's important for you to see it and know it's, it's what we're going through today. It's in chapter 21, verse 22. Avimelech comes with the captain of his army. What does that mean? Somebody comes with the captain of their army. They're trying to say, they're trying to strong arm. They're trying to say, I have muscle. I have military backing behind me. And he says, I realize that Elohim is with you, whatever you do. I realize that you're a blessed people. And so therefore, I want you to promise me that you will do kindness to me and my family and this land that you had lived in. And they make a shivua, and they make a peace treaty. And some of us in some of the commentaries are cringing. And we're saying, we're going to make a peace treaty with you. You almost took our wife, and you're going to call that chesed. And then some will answer and say, yes, but I did return her, and I did pay my, my penalty. And so therefore, I want to have peace with you. The interesting thing about this story is that the king of Av, that Avimelech and Pichol, his Sartzava, they come to Be'er Sheva. Where is Be'er Sheva? It's literally in the middle of Gaza and of where Lot had been, where Sedom and Amorah is going to be destroyed. So he's literally standing in the middle of both. He has Avimelech and Gaza on one hand, and he has Sedom and Amorah on the other hand. And what does he do at the end of his story? Yes, they make a treaty. They call the place Be'er Shava because of the Shavuah. Later on, it's going to be called Be'er Sheva because of the seven wells that Abimelech had taken and supposedly returned. But what does Abraham do? Vayikra b'shem Hashem el olam. He calls out in the name of God and he calls him El Olam. God is my witness forever and ever. So we have here, I know it's not what's currently unfolding right now in Israel, and I know that they're not at peace, and I know that they're not holding the end of the bargain, and I know they have not yet come to this place. But maybe it's a little comforting to see that there is a world, a world in which the most evil people on the planet could recognize that Elohim Imach, that maybe God, not maybe, I, we know it, but maybe they could recognize it. And maybe there is a blueprint for finally, possibly, there being some kind of an understanding and some kind of a peace, and a peace that means that everybody's returned safely to their space, to their home. Today, where we stand, we don't want peace with anybody. We just want them out. We never want to see their ugly faces again. I don't know what to tell you, but here, it does show that this is a possibility. I'm going to take you even, I'm going to go a little... I don't know if I'm doubling down or not, but I'm going to just give you this so we could understand. Right after this story, and so a lot of people are disturbed by it, and yeah, no, we don't want to make peace with these people. And the worst part is that it says that, Ab that Abraham lives amongst them, Yamim Rabim, for many days. So a lot of us are also concerned with that uh, um, part of the story. But maybe if I take you here, and I we see together that by the time we get to the Akedah, 
we notice that the Akedam, all the way at the end of the Perasha, and we notice that the way the Akedah is described, it's in chapter 22, where in verse 2, Hashem t- tells him, Kach na et bincha et yechidcha. We all know the story where God asks Abraham to take his son, and he, Ha'alehu sham le'olah. You could play with these words as much as you want, but it seems to say, take him up as an offering, because some rabbis will say, oh no, Le'ola, I just wanted you to elevate him on top of the mountain. But regardless, this word, kach, take, is going to appear six times. He's going to tell him, take your son, and then he takes his shnei ne'arav in verse 3 with him. And then as we continue, he's also going to take the wood from the trees, and he's going to take the fire and the knife, and then he's going to take the machelet, uh, is like the knife, to slaughter his son, and then finally he's going to take the ram in verse 13, and he's going to bring that up as an offering. I'd like to suggest, and it's been suggested before, that all of this taking that Abraham is doing in his akedah is really to turn back the clock or to do a reparation of the original taking that had been done. When I talk about kach, which is the original taking that I'm referring to, if you're in the stone edition, it's, in, it's on page 14, it's, cha- it's chapter 3 in Bereshit, verse 6, which says, I'm sorry, chapter 4, I mean page 14, I don't know what I said, but chapter 3, Pasuk 6, and this is talking about Chava. She's also Vatere. She also sees. The Isha sees ki tov ha'et lema'achal ve'ki ta'ava hu la'enayim ve'nechmad ha'et lehaskil v'atikach mepilyo v'atokhal v'atiten gam le'isha ima v'yochal. We were exiled from Gan Eden because of this one word, v'atikach. She took that which she should not have taken. She took because she wanted to satisfy her cravings, her passions. And now, finally, all the way, we get all the way to Abraham, and we see that his taking is going to be to do the will of his creator, to submit to God. The original taking was defying God. The taking that Abraham is going to do is going to uh, um, satisfy and and, uh, uh, submit to God. And then we start to see that a lot of the goings on between what Abraham does and what happened into the Garden of Eden starts to parallel. Because once she takes from that fruit, if you just turn to page 18, which is verse 22 in Pedic 3, we see that God says, oh no, now that they took from the tree, pen yishlach they may send out their hand and do what? And take two from the tree of life. What does Adam want to do? He might want to extend his life by taking from the tree of life. And in our story today, you may want to use your ribbons to go back and forth. We're back in chapter 22. What happens here in verse 10 is Abraham, Vayishlach, in verse 10, it's, it says, Vayishlach Abraham et yado. Abraham is going to take, send out his hand. So when Adam sent out his hand, it might be to take from the tree of life. What's Abraham doing? He's sending out his hand to end a life. 
He's taking the ma'achelet lishchot et beno. And the, it's just so um, scary or so crazy that Adam thinks that in order to extend your life, you have to defy God and eat from the tree that he told you not to eat. And Abraham is willing to end a life in order to obey God's word. What I'm going to be getting at is that what Abraham is doing in this week's Perashah is actually an undoing of what took place in Gan Eden, of what caused our exile, and he's literally paving the road for our return to Eden or to an idyllic state, or to a place where God is going to want to reinstate the original blessings. And then we start to see everything that's said. For instance, after um, they eat from the tree, God tells Chava in verse 16, El ha'isha amar harbe arbe itzvonech, she tells Chava, from now on, when you proliferate, it's going to be with tremendous pain. But Avraham sort of starts to take away that punishment, turns it into a blessing with the same exact words in verse 17 in our perasha where God says, Chava, or the Isha, was punished with pain in having children. But Avraham, in this week's perasha, and as children of Avraham, we too have this blessing that rather than have pain when we're having children, our children are going to harbe arbe. We're going to multiply like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the earth. What's beautiful is that all of these things having to do with exile are going to turn into blessing of the rest of that verse says, V'yirash zaracha et sha'ar oivav. Please, Hashem, bring these words to light today. May your children conquer the gates of their enemies. This is a blessing. It's right here on the parchment. God has promised that the children of Abraham will be able to conquer the gates of their enemies. And in case you worry that, oh no, Abraham has many children. I hope this doesn't stand for them too. Rivka is going to get this same exact same blessing. And then this blessing is going to continue through Yitzchak and through Yaakov. So don't fear what's even equally as beautiful is that in Gan Eden, God had put that cherev hamit hapechet, that ever turning sword to guard the way from the tree of life. He was a concern that maybe the um, man would t- put, put out his hand and take from it. So this cheret hamit hapechet was lishmoret derech et was literally to blockade the entrance of the et And what is Abraham using now in his akedah? The fire, the ash is going to parallel the flame. And the machelet, the knife, is going to parallel the sword. And we're going to turn exile this week into blessing. And we will, shabu banim, we will return. He even is going to plant this eshel. And many people like to talk about this idea that Abraham planted a tree. Maybe he's symbolically replanting etz chayim hi lamachazikim ba. There is a tree, and it is a tree of life, and that tree will give life to those who hold on to it, who cling to it. What Abraham is doing is he he's recapturing and possibly symbolically the et hachayim, 
But he's saying the way to life is not to uh, disobey God and follow our own set of ideals. It's when you go ahead and you follow and you uh, um, continue to uphold what God has set forth for us, not only will there be blessing, but we will undo previous curses that may have come our way. And how do we know this? Because Adam, when God speaks to him, God has to ask him, Ayeka, where are you? But when God speaks to Abraham, and this is us, this has to be our answer every single time. When God speaks to us, and he asks us where we are, when he says, Abraham, Abraham, what does he answer? Thank you, I love you. He answers, can we answer that? Can we all answer that? I believe that these past weeks, every person that I know and many that I don't know have been answering this hinani. Here I am, whatever you want, whatever you need, here I am. To my brothers, to my sisters, to my country, to my God, hinani, I am here for you. I am here in any way and in any capacity that's being asked of me. And this is what it means to be able to access these blessings. When we're able to say, Hineni, then we, the tree of life is no longer blocked to us. This idea that the serpent was trying to get the Adam and the Isha to detach themselves from God, the illusion that the Nachash was claiming was that by detaching yourself from God, that's where you're going to find happiness and fulfillment. And Abraham says, no, happiness and fulfillment is going to come from cleaving to God, from total dedication. And the total dedication is what's going to be the source of our blessings. And I just have to add one little piece to this because I I often hear, you might hear it in the Anenu song, Later on, Yaakov uses this term, Pachad Yitzchak. Yitzchak, the God, God himself is referred to as Pachad Yitzchak. Yaakov is going to swear in the name of Pachad Yitzchak. And I don't want you for one minute to think that Pachad Yitzchak means the fear of Yitzchak. Or maybe because of the fear and the trauma that Yitzchak underwent being tied and bound to an altar, seeing his father holding a knife outstretched over his head, that's the definition of pachad, you might think that in the merit of that, God should come and save us. And we have our shofar that we blow in memory of the ayel, but I'd like to translate the words pachad yitzchak completely differently. Because pachad yitzchak could always mean, and today, please Hashem, let it mean this, pachad yitzchak. Any fear that we might have, yitzchak, should turn to laughter. The fear, the initial fear, look, we're humans. There's times to be sad and there's times to be fearful and there, we are living in a precarious time. I'm, I don't have my head in the clouds. I'm well aware of what's going on. All we have to tell ourselves is pachad yitzchak, God built into the system that after the pachad will come yitzchak will come the ability for us, for us to laugh. It's in our prayers and we believe it. And when they go to the, even when Abraham and Yitzchak are walking up to the altar, I mean, you want to talk about pachad and it's believed that um, Yitzchak knew very well where he was going and what was taking place. And he asks his father, he says, um, he t- takes the, se- the trees and he puts them under Yitzchak Beno, 
under his son, and he takes the fire, and he takes the machelet, and what does he do? They go the two of them together. And what does that mean? That means that the concept or the idea, or even if you wanted to say the rational Abraham with the emotional Yitzchak, or, you know, Givurah, they add to Yitzchak that he's the one of Givurah, and maybe Abraham's the one of Chesed. I don't know how you want to internalize this, but father and son, means that they bound each, to each other, and more than just a physical binding, they were bound father to son, meaning that the son is willing to fulfill the heritage of the father. They have a conversation. Yitzchak says to Abraham, his father, and he says, Avi, and his father answers, Hineni b'ni, here I am, my son. And Yitzchak asks, I see fire, I see uh, wood. Where is this seh that we should be uh, uh, bringing up on the altar? And Abraham says, God is going to show us the seh bini. And we still have This means that the son is willing to continue to perpetuate the legacy of the father. As children of Avraham, we have to believe it is our job to believe in these angels that exist, to believe that they are escorting us, to believe that they are holding our hand, to believe that they are transporting us out of danger and to safety, and to believe that they're here, and this is the most important part of it, they're here to fulfill and bring to existence a biriyah something we never even fathomed. The way Sarah is going to have a child and it was something nobody could have expected. Be ready. Prepare yourself. Pachad Yitzchak, we're going to get the last laugh. And when we see the fulfillment of what these angels that are still in our world today have in store for us, then we too, God willing, are going to laugh. And I'd like to say that I believe today's Haftarah is going to describe this for us possibly more beautifully than anything else could. Before I go to the Haftarah, I really should introduce it and maybe say my belief of why they chose this Haftarah is because you're going to be very familiar with it when I take you there, is because it speaks of a woman who was barren, who couldn't have children, who finally has a child, and that child's going to have a near-death experience. Very similar to our Sarah, who never had a child. And for those of you who know me, you'll allow me to just bask in these pesukim for a minute, because they're my happy place. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm actually going to Israel soon. And I'm going to take your words with me. Kola kavod. Thank you. I have to turn off now, but thank you for giving me strength and, and for making the flight easier. Derech Shalom. And you are an angel, and Hashem sends them from all the corners of the world, human angels, ones we can see, ones we can't see, and please represent all of us. Take us in your heart, take us in your mind, take everybody... I'm sure this whole class is bursting with positive energy, sending it your way. All our hugs, all our love, please, we're bestowing them on you, and we hope and pray that you spread it. And if, if I could think of any, I can't, I don't know if I could think of anybody better to send. I'm proud to have you represent us. Please give them the chizuk that they deserve. And I promise you this, you're going to end up being more strengthened from them than anything you think you're going to give them because it's a, we are a nation of warriors, of strong, believing uh, uh, giants. We are, we really are, and we see it every single day. And I hope you go 
and you return safely, and, and I hope, I know it will, I hope it's a life-altering uh, um, life experience for you that will help you literally broaden. And you'll come back and hopefully share your experiences with us. I love you. Safe travels. So I'm here in chapter in Pedic 21 because it is my happy place. And I always say this, if I could only take one pasuk with me, I, this might be the one. This is my, Shani's laughing her head off over there because she knows it's true. <laughs> Hashem, pakadet sada. How can we not go crazy from these words? The Yudke Vavke, the God who says that anything is possible in this world with our investment. He's telling us that we are creators. This God, the Yudke Vavke, which many of you say, oh, the God of the Rachamim, this is where it comes from. He's the God of the Rechem, he's the God of the womb. He's the one that gave Chava the ability to have a child. He's the one who's going to pakad et Sarah. He didn't forget her, so forget the English that says he remembered Sarah. Not for one second did he forget her. Pakad et Sarah means he made her into this uh, um, person who is going to be the poster child for defying the physical constraints in our world. That's what pakad means. It means that this angel that I told you who comes to say, forget the natural world, forget what the sonogram says, forget what the specialist says, forget all of that. Hashem is the biggest and greatest of everybody. And he says, you're going to have a child. And so you're going to have a child. I don't care what the physical world has to say. You, you are being escorted with angels and you are being escorted by God himself. So Hashem, Pakadet Sarah, means that God rendered the ability for Sarah to have a child. Ka'asher Amad, exactly as he had said, the word Amira means that it's immutable. So I don't care what anybody else has to say. If God says you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child. And please interpret this for every day of our lives. If God says that we're going to be saved and we're going to be spared and we're going to be in peace and the land will be ours and we're going to conquer the gates of our enemies, hold on to that and believe it. Because if you think Sarah doubted for a minute, she didn't. And because she didn't doubt, she had a child. And we are not going to be a doubt, doubters. We are anachnu ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. We are believers, sons of believers. What does that mean? Yeah, of course, when the good news happens, everybody could say, oh yeah, beauty, I knew it, I, I knew. The no, now, right this minute, we have to believe. Because if we believe it right now, then it will come to be. And God, what does he do for Sarah? It's both. It's a command, which means that God had said this is going to happen, but he also, he makes it in the physical world. He makes it possible. He makes something that becomes now a conversation. For another day, we'll see about the uh, way that God had approached Abraham and the way he approached Sarah. Because Sarah has this child exactly asher diber ito Elohim. Elohim had told Abraham he was going to have a child. Hashem told God, uh, Sarah she was going to have a child. Which means that what? That Abraham could laugh. Because in the world of Elohim, in the natural world, where everything has a cause and effect, it doesn't make sense. So he could laugh. She got yelled at laughing because why? Because we can't laugh. We can't doubt. If we want to be in the world of the Yudke Vavke, the God of the Rechem, the God of mercy, the God of Rachamim, the God who's able to do anything, who's able to totally create something new where it defies all odds, then we can't laugh in the sense of being uncertain or unsure. We can't doubt. We can't be skeptics. 
What do we have to do? Pachad Yitzchak. During our time of fear, we have to laugh how? It has to be a laughter of full belief. And so in this week's parasha, she's going to have this son against all odds. And I want to take you and end with the haftara, which is really, really very beautiful. Because in case for 10 seconds we weren't sure of these forces that exist in our world that are here to guide our every step that we take, I'm going to give you a quick recap of the haftara. There was a woman who was amongst the wives of the Nevi'im. And she comes and she screams out to Elisha. And she said, my husband died. I apologize. For those of you who have uh, Tanakh, it's Melachim Bet, chapter 4. And she said, my husband died. He was always a servant. He was always God-fearing. But now the creditors want to take my sons as slaves. And this is the famous story where he asks her, what do you have in the house? And she said, I have nothing but a little cruise of oil. Sounds like the Hanukkah story. It would make a good haftarah for that time also. And he says, well, go borrow all kinds of pots and pans, whatever you can from your neighbors and um, come back and shut the door behind you. And sure enough, as she starts, uh, she shuts the door, she brings the vessels and um, he pours the oil. And this is the famous story where no matter how much he pours, the oil doesn't end. And she, he just keeps filling more and more pots from this one little cruise of oil. And maybe I should stop and say for a second that we don't need to have the whole story. We just need to have a little oil. We, again... We want to know the whole story. We want to know the whole ending. We want to know all the little children are tucked back happily in their beds. The wives are returned to their husbands. The husbands are returned to their wives and their families. And everybody's happy and intact. That's what we want. But the Haftarah is going to say, we can't see the whole picture. So start with one little piece of faith, of trust, of light, of hope. One little flicker, one little cruise of oil. And if you do that, then you'll be able to pour it and light the next candle and the next candle and you'll bring lightness and you'll bring uh, um, what happens to her is she ends up bringing salvation. He tells her, go sell all the oil, pay off the creditors and your kids will be uh, free. But the story that I think they really wanted to bring to us is the next story, which is this, they call her the Isha Shunamit, the woman from Shunem. And she is a very famous woman that Elisha used to stay by her house whenever he would come to town. So she told her husband, let's build him a den with a, you know, a desk and a chair and a candle, a lamp, uh, so he could stay here. He'll know that this is his spot. And one day when he came, um, he went and told his attendant, go ask this Shunami woman what I can do for her. There has to be something that I could do on her behalf. And she just answers and she says, um, I'm just a regular person living within my, uh, amongst my people. And he says, no, please find out what could be done for her. And his attendant says, well, as a matter of fact, she doesn't have a child. Ben Enla Veisha Zaken. So this could be the parallel to our Perasha this week where she doesn't have any children and her husband's old. And um, Elisha says, okay, bring her here. And he tells her exactly like the angel had told Sarah, Ke'et Chaya, next year, this time, you will be holding a child. You will be embracing a child. And... Um, she, it's hard for her to believe. She says, please don't toy with me. Sure enough, she conceives, she gives birth to a child. And um, the next part is the concerning part. So we're all happy and this is beautiful. It goes beautifully with our perasha. No sooner does the child grow up, he goes out to the field to help the reapers in the you know, they're agricultural in the fields. 
And he says, Roshi, Roshi, my head, my head. And the father says, carry him to his mother. And as he gets carried to his mother, what happens is it seems that the child, we believe, has died. It's a pretty hard story, but it has a beautiful ending. So what does she do, the woman? She says, go send me one of the attendants to bring me one of the, you know, so I could ride on my aton, on my donkey. I want to run to the Isha Elohim and I will be right back. She goes and sure enough, when he sees her from afar, he says, isn't that the Shunami woman? Please tell her is all well with you, with your husband and with your child. And she says, all is well, but Hashem has, you know, uh, put me in a very difficult uh, position. Um, he tells, and she t he tells her, she tells him what had happened. Long story short, and this is why I brought you to this part of the Haftarah, is that Elisha goes, and it says in verse 32, I'll read it, Vayavo Elisha habaita. he comes to the house, and the child had died, Mushkav al-mitato, he's lying on his bed, and Elisha comes and closes the door, and he prays to God, and he lies on the child, we believe this is the mouth to mouth, he places his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his palms on his palms, and he uh, warms up the body of the child. And sure enough, he, to make a long story short, they, he revives the child and they call the mother and they say, Se'i benech, carry your child. She comes, she picks up her child and she leaves. I brought you to this story. I mean, there are so many levels of interest of what takes place here. But I think that this Haftarah is for us today. The first and foremost, the first story is saying, let's take one cruise of oil at a time. Let's light up each other. Let's bring light into the story. And let's believe that there is a place. Her story was horrible. Her sons were going to get sold as slaves and her husband had died. Yet, with the help of the forces that Hashem puts in these world, in this world, her story changes tremendously and she's able to bring light into her house again. And I say that because I think the Haftarah is beckoning every one of us. We have a choice of whether we want to see events that are taking place and unfolding as darkness, or we want to find one tiny, little, happy, encouraging story and we want to build on that until we bring the light into our house because bringing in the light is what's going to help us see and bring forth an entire enlightenment of the entire nation we it has to start somewhere we cannot sit in the darkness we must we the soldiers are telling us every one of us is a soldier that our praying to God, that our learning, that our bringing in the light is helping them. So yeah, we can't help anybody if we're going to sit in the dark. And the other one is that even where we might see something that looks like the final, the end, that it's over, there is this power and this force in the world that the man of God is able to bring life to a place where all hope was lost. We have to believe that. We have to believe that I'll take this, it's much easier, and I know it's a cop-out on my part, but I'll reflect it in the national realm. Our nation, when we say, Am Yisrael Chai, we're saying something where it's not only a response, which says, no, never again, he's not going to kill us, Am Yisrael Chai, we're going to live. I think it's Am Yisrael Chai, like the words of the Haftarah, where even after you wrote us off and you keep giving up on us 
as if there is no life pulse left in us with the uh, um, force and with the belief that there are these um, forces in the world that will continually revive us. Am Yisrael is, we are, first of all, I'm just going to, I don't know why I'm saying this here, but I feel it in my bones. I know we've heard a lot of talk about it's a Holocaust, it's a Shoah. We're in our own home. You're going to attack us in our own home. I'm sorry. Not in my backyard. Not in my home. And don't ever underestimate the force and the resolve of the Jewish people. Because we have amongst us all of these angels. They've been escorting us from Avraham through Yitzchak. Yaakov has angels. We are going to continually have God send us his angels and they, at the time that we may feel weak, at the time where we may feel that we barely have a pulse, they're going to come, they're going to revive us, we're going to revive each other, we're going to each light each other up. And I believe the Haftarah is speaking to a resurgence and a the wombless woman, the woman who doesn't have a child, the woman who, where there's no hopeful life, is going to spring forth life over and over and over again. And so I hope and I pray that we could all, we could all stay united, stay together. I think what we are showing Hashem in these past few weeks is going to bring us so much zuchut and so much Yeshua and so much Beracha this Zella is now headed on her way to Israel. We are connecting every one of us with our brothers here, with our brothers there. And in doing so, I guarantee it, the Torah is telling it to us. Pachad Yitzchak. The fear will turn to laughter. Everything will, God willing, show the greatness and the glory and the presence of Hashem in our world. And I hope that we see it together very soon. We're headed that way. And let's pray and hope that everybody who's praying their lungs out, that Hashem hears our prayers and they're answered very, very soon. Again, I thank you all for joining us. It's nice to see your beautiful faces. Um, if anybody has anything they want to add, I'm happy to let you unmute.